Well, as I said earlier, today we're going to be starting off with a quiz. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to put this side against this side. Okay, so um, um, and I'll, I was going to make you have to stand up for it to actually answer the question, but in out of empathy for the guys who went walking with us yesterday, I'm going to just let you raise your hand. Okay, so first hand will be the one I, I answer. If you yell it out. I won't take that answer, but the other side could then take it. So, okay, so those, those are the rules. Okay, so first question. And there's a few answers accepted for this question. So, who is the Holy Spirit? Oh, that's it. Okay, see, some of you, okay, just, it's Jimmy's answer. But, okay, put your hand up, don't call out. And then we had heaps of people call out, like, oh, no wonder God struggles with you sometimes. Like, you can't follow the simple instructions. Okay, so Jimmy. Okay, God, who is the Holy Spirit? The, oh, the Comforter. Okay, yep, that is correct. It, um, so, but I'll give you a point for that one. One point there. He is God. Yes, so that's one point. That's right. So two points over here. I'm going to get to the point. I'm not going to be able to count anymore. Like I've only got two hands. Um, okay, so two to one. The teacher. Yep. Okay, I, I, I will. I will allow that. What I want you to do is think about some of the stuff we've been speaking about specifically when it's come to the Holy Spirit. So, provider, yep. Gift giver, yep. Yes, you can. Yeah. The indweller. Yeah, that's a good one because um now I can't really go to the next question now. Ah, oh, okay. So, where does the Holy Spirit dwell? Okay, I see Jimmy's just on the, he's on the buzzer, he was the first hand up, so you've got to get ready to put your hands up. So, yeah, 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 that's good. So, so where does God, where the Holy Spirit dwell? In us. Remember, that's one of the great points of made that you got God the Father is the creator, Jesus walks beside us because he's our redeemer, but the Holy Spirit is God in us which is actually makes a lot of stuff we've been talking possible. Okay, so we're sort of kind of week one. Okay, so now we're going back to week two. Now, in week two, we actually had something up, um, had like two columns. And it said, because he is in us, he empowers us. And we compared ourselves to when we were at our worst, when we actually put ourselves on the throne, and when we're at our best, when we put God on the throne. So I'm actually going to be um, saying a phrase, and you've got to fill in the blank. Okay, so when we're at our worst... We're controlled by the love of blank. Oh, Alison. No. No. There was a word that we used. Controlled by the love of... Oh, power. So, by power. And then the second part, but we were at our best when we were compelled by the power of... Sally. Oh, not quite. Love, by the power of love. So... So one side, we're at our worst when we're compelled by the love of power. Well, God is love, so I'll give you, I'll give a half, I'll give a half point over here. So, oh, full, okay, full point over this side, okay. Um, I have to go to the sort of go to the, yeah, yeah okay, we're all out that one. So, okay, so, I don't know what the score is anymore, but anyway. Four, okay. Okay, I'm going to start doing this. Have you got quick hands? Okay, so, Second phrase, when we're at our worst, we're paralysed by... I'm going to have to go to Greg here. 
Fear. Okay, so, um, but when we're at our best, we're propelled by... Okay, so you see how Greg's just... just so just put your hands, hang your hands there. But, so I'm going to go this way. Greg, I'm going to go the other Greg. No. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, I burnt. No. We're propelled into freedom. So when we're at our, our worst, we're paralyzed by fear. When we're at our best, we're propelled into freedom. Okay. He's got it on his phone. Oh, wow, he's intelligent. He sort of kept all the answers. See, Greg's been reading this every week since we've been done it. So he's been doing it as part of his devotion. So I can't fault him on that. Okay. So... Um, I'll see you at the end score. Like, I might give a bonus. Okay, so next part of the phrase is we're at our worst when we are just blank. Yep, there is a lot of blankness over here right now. Like, Okay, anyone over this side? We're at our worst when we're just, Greg, when we're just informed, when we just have knowledge about God, we're at our worst. Okay, so we're at our best when we are being... Like, you mean transform, Bert? Yeah, that's what I thought I heard. So, yeah. Okay, so that was week two. So we're at our worst. We're, we are basically, we're controlled by the love of power. We are paralyzed by fear. We're just informed. But when we're at our best, when we're spirit-empowered, we are compelled by the power of love. We're propelled into freedom and we are being transformed, which kind of moves us a little bit into week three. So um, I'm going to give you the points for week three, but there was a second phrase that went with it. So week three, first one was we walk by the Spirit, which was the work of becoming. Very good there, Bert. Okay. Okay. Second point was we be led, we're led by the Spirit, which was the journey of discovery. Oh, sort of like an auction here. Okay. Um, okay. And the third one was we live by the Spirit, which is the joy of Oh, Alison. Oh, the joy of being. See, now it's getting a bit more competitive. So I've, I've brought out the competitive nature in people, which you'll have to confess of later. Um, but, okay, week four. Okay, you are what by the Spirit? Bert. Gifted. Every one of you are gifted. Every one of you are gifted by the Holy Spirit. Okay? And, and, and this is not saying that you are God's gift to women or something like that is you are gifted to actually to do something for God. So the second one is you are blank to God's people. Helen, you are connected to God's people. So the thing is, the gifts aren't meant to be used in a isolatory type of way where we go, oh, look at the gift I've got. I'm going to go do this for my own benefit, my own glory. That we actually connect us to the church. Do you know what? One something I didn't say last week when we looked at this was that God has actually given this church the complete set of gifts that we need to obey him. So if God calls us into something and we go, oh, we can't do that because we don't have the ability, well, we're actually saying God God doesn't call us into something. He may actually gift some, some of us afresh to be able to do whatever that is, that thing he puts in front of us. Um, okay, but anyway, last, last point. You are <laughs> vital to God's work over this side. So you are vital. And this is, again, this is a really important point for the whole church to take on board because you need to realize that without you, there is some part of God's work that we cannot do. 
Because some of us have this idea like, I can't do anything to, to use my gifts. I don't know what my gifts are. I can't help. And like, that's not really my role to play. No, you are vital to God's work. And so, final one. This is a final one before we wrap up the quiz part of this, um, um, quiz round of, of the sermon this morning. Um, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is a doctrine of what? Or a doctrine of, not a doctrine of this, but a doctrine of this. It's not a doctrine of, not a doctrine of power, but it is a doctrine of, oh, that word, I'll give you a half point for that one because it's kind of the same thing. It is a doctrine of surrender. So, which is obedience, so that's why I gave you a half point there. So, what was the um, score at the end? Okay, so this side, um, uh, as well as with Robin, you actually win a free morning tea. Um, and you guys also win a free morning tea, uh, just for participation. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, we're a bit closer than that, that, that one. But this week, here's what we want to do. We are going to wrap up by about being, talking about being spirit-breathed. It's kind of a funny, funny um, subject. I'm not talking about CPR or anything like that. But in both Hebrew and Greek, when you use the word for spirit, when you use the word for the Holy Spirit, is the, it's the word breath. Um, and the idea is really quite simple, that the Holy Spirit is literally the breath that is inside your body. It is what makes you alive. It is what makes you different and it's what makes you unique. When you go back to Genesis, you'll find when it comes to Adam and Eve that he breathed life into them. This is the imagery that we need to catch when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Um, because watch, I am so filled, so indwelt, so animated by the Holy Spirit that he becomes the breath that I breathe. And this is what separates me from what is living and what is dead. So the Holy Spirit brings us alive um, and in doing that. Now, this is what the God the Father wants to do, is to breathe his spirit into us, breathe his life into us, but too often we allow death to take over our life far too much. Now, some of you may be uh, a little or very familiar with the passage that Hans read from this morning, um, Ezekiel and the Valley of, of Dry Bones. And so it's, I suppose it, it's a relatively familiar passage, at least in some concept, because um, you kind of... Maybe you hear about it in a Sunday school story or you read about it in a devotion or something like that. Um, but this morning as we read about it, I kind of want us to engage with it a little bit more and, and sort of, um, I suppose, put ourselves in place of that. Um, because the thing is, sometimes we read Scripture and we kind of just read through and go, oh, yeah, yeah, we kind of have a mental ascent of it, but we don't really imagine it. And I was, as I was reading through this passage this week, this is not spiritual at all, but the, the idea that came to my head was Scooby-Doo. Because here's Ezekiel standing here. He's prophesied over the bones. All of a sudden, he hears a rattling behind him and bones coming together. Couldn't get Scooby-Doo out of my head, probably because my kids watch it so often. And the thing is, as I thought about Scooby-Doo, I went, what does Scooby-Doo and Shaggy do when, when a skeleton comes together? They don't just go, oh, that's, that's interesting. They don't go, oh, that's, that's a nice passage. They actually shiver. They, they experience something. And so I was just imagining what Ezekiel would have gone through. He wouldn't have been sort of like lifeless and going, oh, wow, God is just putting that skeleton back together. And then the ligaments and the muscles and everything else that went with it, he would have been scared, worried, maybe even grossed out because, do you know what? Like, 
some of us have not got the ability to be surgeons at all. We see a little bit of blood and we, we're gone. You imagine doing it in the reverse way. Like all of a sudden, right in front of Ezekiel, like bones and tendons and everything is going on. I can imagine that would be a little bit gross. Like it's amazing, but a little bit gross. For our nurses, they're probably going, this is amazing, this is really good. Like get out their phones and record it. But for some of us, we'd go, God, I don't need to see that again. Like um, that's enough. But the thing, I just want to read from verses 5 and 6 um, just real quickly. Um, this is what the Sovereign Lord says to you. These bones, to these bones, I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh up, come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Now, basically... <coughs> Ezekiel is basically told to prophesy over the bones that this will happen. We read the next few verses, that's exactly what happened. You, you hear the rattling come together, you, you hear the bodies start coming together. So we're going to be looking around that up uh, this week as we wrap up this series on uh, Desire More. And I suppose looking at that today, I'm not sure what your expe- expectation is we, as we wrap up on the spirit of, of the, the series on the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're looking at some really great sort of sermon about victory and overcoming and, and God being able to do amazing things. But I think today's going to be a little bit different um, as we look at that because um, so as, I, as we said before, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is not, it's not a process or a doctrine of power, but it's a process of surrender. We sung about that today. So my ability to be indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit is tied to my willingness to be surrendered to the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. I will find victory through surrender. Now, the thing is, that's that's really opposite of what sometimes goes on our head. Like, to give up means we win. Or to give up to God means we win. To give in to God, we win. To give him control and we win. Like Again, if you watch any of those sporting movies, it's about the superstar coming out and taking control of the game, and he wins. And he does amazing. Whatever sporting uh, movie it is or sporting show it is, they take control. They, they have great defense and great attack, and they, they score the tries or score the baskets or, or score the goals, whatever they need to do. They take control. And that's what we want. We want God to say, hey, I'm going to tap you on the shoulder. You're going to go into the game of your life and you're going to be able to take control because I'm going to give you a little bit more of a oomph in your life and you'll be able to take control and you'll be able to win in your life. But God actually doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to give up. He wants us to give in to the Holy Spirit. And then God will have the victory in us and around us. And this is where we'll find victory. Now, you see, the Holy Spirit, um, basically, you see Ezekiel taken to this valley of dry bones. Now, it helps at times when reading the Old Testament that to not see Israel specifically as a nation, but actually to see Israel as an individual and to take this into account and apply it to our lives as an individual. Apply as if you are the nation of Israel and if the Holy Spirit is speaking directly to you. And the Holy Spirit comes and takes you within your own life and your own world and your own spirit and your own soul and takes you to that deep, dark valley place. I suppose this is where today we're going to get a little bit introspective 
Um, not just sort of saying, here are the three things you go out and you'll have a great week. This is, this is where we turn to and sort of go to let God do a more full and complete work in us. See, that valley that, that is that, that deep, dark place, that's where we take everything in our lives that we are ashamed of. That valley that you take everything that has hurt you. That valley that you take everything that you are afraid of. That valley where you take everything that has died in your life and you throw it in that valley and you leave it there to rot and to dry out and to be forgotten. And the Holy Spirit takes you there and he walks around, walks you around among those bones. And the thing is, you need to know those bones, they are, they are all yours. These bones are are all of your making or someone else's making. Someone may have done something to you, bring hurt in your life. But whether it was your making or someone else's, you now have ownership of this death. This brokenness, this dryness it is part of who you are now and is a part of the fabric of who you are. And the Holy Spirit begins to walk, walk you among them. And three things I want you to take away today. And here's number one. You need to own the bones. You've got to own these bones because they are yours and they don't belong to anybody else. You can't blame anybody else for them. Even if someone else has done you wrong and, and that's the hurt that's caused you to throw them into this deep, dark valley in your life, it is, it is still your life. It is yours and you have to own it. The reason that you threw these things into this valley is because they hurt you. And you have to own these bones because these bones have somehow hurt you. They either um, something that you have chosen to do um, through which you have found shame and guilt or your own actions have hurt you and you've tried to, to, through these actions, you've thrown these actions into the valley to forget that they're even there, even hide them for God perhaps, but definitely to hide them from everybody else and to not make yourself have to look at them. But you can't leave them there. Because if you do, you are leaving the stench of death in the midst of, of who you are. And that's not how God intends you to live. I don't know about you, but have you ever left something somewhere and like it's meant to go on a bin, it's meant to go far, far away. But it's left there. Like, um, And the, the best story I've ever heard about this, not sure if it's happened or not, but I can imagine it happening. You know how... Um, Bride and groom come together, they get married, go through the whole ceremony. But some of their friends think it would be a joyous thing to do stuff to their car. And so I'm not sure what's happened to you. Um, but, but the thing is, this one story I heard was someone thought it would be really great to actually to get a fish and to go into their back seat and put the fish in where the, the, the back of the seat and, the, and squeeze it down there. So it's not seen. Now, if it's a fresh fish, they might drive off somewhere and they may not smell it at all. Now, while they're away on their honeymoon, they're not sort of using their car too much. And on the day they go to go drive home, all of a sudden they hop in their car and they can, the smell is everywhere. You can't even tell where it's coming from. Now, as much as that might be funny for the friends, I can imagine the couple going, we don't want this smell to be here anymore. And I can even imagine once the fish is gone, the smell may be there for a lot longer. That's what it's like when we leave some of this stuff in our life. It stays there and we, we, sometimes we get used to the stench of it, but it is the stench of death and, and, and that's not what God wants us to do. See, the Holy Spirit walks you through the bones and he says to us, 
He says to you, child, look, look at me. Tell me about this set of bones. Tell me about this particular hurt. Tell me what happened here. And he will stop you and, and tell me how this got here. And often our response is, God, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to bring this up again. I don't want to revisit this. I, I, don't, I don't want you to even know about it or to acknowledge that you know about it. I put them here because I don't want to talk about it. And at this point, the Spirit whispers to us, but I need you to. I need you to talk about it. Tell me the story. Tell me what happened. What got into you that caused you to do this? What were you thinking that allowed you to get to this point? What is it that caused this? What is, this, uh, what is, it, is it that that allowed this? What is it that hurt you? Tell me this story. And as you tell the story, the Holy Spirit does two things at the same time. He, he commands us to tell us, to tell um, the story, but he also enlightens our heart and we begin to understand and to process it. And slowly as you tell the story, the bones become to come, begin to come together and all of a sudden the bones begin to have tendons and ligaments and muscles and skin. And the thing that you were horrified of, the thing that had hurt you, that thing that you tried to get away from, suddenly the thing that you have thrown away has come alive in your presence. And you turn to God going, God, why? Why? Why bring this back up in my life? Okay, second thing today. Sometimes forward feels backward. Sometimes we, we, we feel like we've left something behind. We haven't really. We've just, we've forgotten it for, for enough to, to not think of it every day. And so sometimes forward feels backward when God brings these things up in our lives and the Spirit really addresses something specific. See, the Holy Spirit needs you to process what is going on. He doesn't need you to hide it down in this valley or forget that the valley even exists. He needs to walk you through it and he needs to sit atop of the bones and say, child, explain this to me. And all of a sudden you describe this thing to the Holy Spirit and you begin to realize how haunted you have been by this thing that you threw down in the valley. But it didn't go away. When we own our bones, we realize that these bones have hurt But in this step, we need to realize that they also haunt us. That's the thing the Holy Spirit is taking taking you there. It's, It's not to punish you, but because you can't stop the haunting, you need to understand what happened, and the Holy Spirit is going to walk you through that. And at the same time, he's going to graciously give you an understanding of what happened. So as the Spirit brings it to life, and we are questioning why, he says to us, let me breathe into it. Let me make this dead thing, and I'm going to put my life into it. I'm going to bring this dead thing to life. And a moment of dread grips us. Lord, I don't want this back. I don't, I don't want anything like that. I, but he says, don't worry, child. See, this is, this is where we, we get to a place in our life when we are allowing God to work in us. All of a sudden, there's, that, there's an intimacy and closeness with God. And, in God's, and the Spirit says, don't, don't worry. When I breathe into this, it is not going to hurt you. When I breathe into it, it's not going to haunt you. In fact, when I breathe into it 
and it gets up because I breathed into it, it is going to heal you. And all of a sudden, that thing you were afraid of, you now understand. You can see it for what it is. And as it gets up alive and animated by the breath of the Holy Spirit, it stands ready to defend you. Now, all of a sudden, that thing that once destroyed you now stands to defend you. You've got to realize at this point, you need, you need to, even if you don't want to, you need to catch the Holy Spirit. If there is something that you are trying to forget and push away and push down, and we go, God, I don't want you to deal with that. I don't want to revisit that. I don't want, I just, I just want it buried so far that at least I can forget it for a moment. Holy Spirit, we need to catch the Holy Spirit and we, as he brings it back up because in doing so, we need to catch the breath. Now, you are wanting to avoid the Holy Spirit because you don't want that thing alive in your life. I don't want that thing in my world again. I, I just want it to go away, but it's not going to go away. It's now part of who you are. Do you, do you realize that sometimes we hold on to hurts that we experienced when we might have been a teenager? And they shape who we are time and time again. It affects how we trust people. It affects how we engage with people, how we sort of believe for the future. And so the Holy Spirit is going to revisit those things because he says, I want you to deal with them and I'm going to help you. I'm going to bring that to life and it's not going to, not going to hurt you. It's not going to haunt you. But when I bring it back to life, it's going to heal you. And we've got to let the Spirit be able to do that in our life. And we don't need to deny it. You don't need to hide it. You don't need to be haunted by it. You can now understand it. And now you can know that, um, that the Holy Spirit has redeemed it and it can heal instead of haunt. Jumping back into Ezekiel 37, looking at verse 14, it says, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle in you in your own land. Then you will know that, the Lord, that I, the Lord, have spoken and I've done it declares the Lord. Now, there's a bit of context. This is when Ezekiel's in, in exile. And the land was so important to the Israelites, having a place where, it, it, in a large extent, defined who they were. And so, all of a sudden, God is, is saying to Ezekiel, I'm going I'm to give you a place to live. I'm going to settle you in your own land. I'm not going to make you okay with, with this land of Babylon. I'm not going to make you okay with that and just accept it. I'm going to give you your own land. And this is what God is saying to us also, the Spirit, when he works through these things. He says, I'm going to take you into your own land. I'm going to restore you back to your own home. I'm going to restore you back to the place you lost. I'm going to restore you back to the things and the emotions and the innocence and the moments you have lost. I'm going to restore all of that because that thing that once hurt you, that once haunted you, is now healing and in the end, it's going to help you and it's going to help everyone else around you. It's amazing when God is able to bring that healing into our lives. All of a sudden, that overcoming that we have from the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit actually is a benefit to those around us. We are able to walk other people through situations that in the past had brought us such pain. Instead of holding on to anger and hate, we can actually walk forward in forgiveness and grace. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. But here is the problem. We don't want to surrender 
such things to him. See, Ezekiel gives us this beautiful story, but if you are thinking about what I'm saying at all, you realize what I'm saying is that the Holy Spirit is going to take you to the darkest, most painful places in your heart, places that you have thrown things that you don't want anyone else to know about, places you don't want to even think about again, but the Holy Spirit is going to go right there. Do you know why? Because he knows the dead spot in our souls. He knows where our life has been drained away from us. He knows the hurts that just rob us of so much in our lives. He knows the things that are causing us pain, the things that are haunting us. And he wants to set us free. Like Jesus came so that we would live free. And, and too often as Christians, we accept something far less than what God has promised us. Not because of the inability of God, but because of the unwillingness of us. Remember, we looked at week two. The third point was the joy of being. There is a joy to walk with God. It is a joy to know the fruits of the Spirit in our life. It is a joy to experience all of that. Yet so often we are, we seem to be working our own effort to bring that stuff into our life. And God's saying, I've got it in abundance for you if you let me deal with some of those things that prevent you from doing that. Because the Holy Spirit wants to set us free, but we have to let him. Sometimes the bones in our valleys are things we are not even done with yet. They are sins that we are repeating and we throw them into the valley to hide them and then we, we go and pull them back out again and use them again. Then we throw them back and a little bit later we go back and pull them out again. Now you might be thinking, Pastor Keith, I don't mind working through these things when I am ready, but do I have to do it in front of God? The thing is, this is what you need to understand. God saw it the first time. God saw when you fell into sin. God saw when you sort of walked away from it. God has seen every time since, and he is still chasing you. Our shame and guilt at times prevents us coming into the presence of God. But this is what we need to realize. In spite of our sin, in spite of our shame and guilt, God is chasing after us to bring about his promises for us, promises of freedom, promises of life. And so if we let our shame and guilt sort of trap us in a valley of dead bones, we forget how much God loves us. We, we may think that thing that we've done is so devastating. Can't even tell anyone else about it. And it may actually be devastating. But it has not in any way diminished the love that God has for you. He is chasing you and he wants to help you get past this. But you have to choose to. In order to find victory, you must surrender. The Holy Spirit is going to take you into this valley of bones and you're going to say something like this to him. You might say, I don't want to talk about that. I'm out of here. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with this at all. You might say, I'm only going to say so much and then I'm done. I'm only going to talk about this a little bit and I'm not going to really resolve it, but I'll face a little bit, but not completely. We might even say, God, this is your fault. Why did, why did you let this happen? You might argue with God, you might deny God, you might do any of these things and yet the Holy Spirit is going to keep taking you there 
And until you surrender to him, you are going to continue to have hurting and haunting. But when you surrender to him, you will have healing and help. And this is the process of holiness. When we surrender, it is, it is a process of holiness. I know we want it, we want it to happen. We, we, we want holiness to happen quick. The quick, easy fix. Like we want to read a book, How Can I Be Holy in 10 Easy Steps and Know the Victory and Power of God all within one day. The Holy Spirit can work powerfully, but often he starts in the most painful place to create the greatest power. This, this surrender is not a one-time thing. It is often going to happen over and over again. You're going to face situations. You're going to face moments where the Holy Spirit draws us back to the valley and we don't want to go again. And the Spirit will take us to a set of bones and go, what happened here? Tell me this story. Now, this is the thing you need to know. If you don't like this experience, if you, if you want to grow with God and you seem to always be battling with him, the earlier you surrender, the shorter the journey in the valley will be. So if you are sick of going to the valley, if you are sick, fighting, sick of fighting God with this, give up and give in to him. Let him win and in that you will have victory. But you have to learn to surrender. The same journey that God calls you on, I've been on. I'm still on. There have been moments in my life of surrender in that where God is, I've given that time to God so God can move me. I remember I was a teenager in church and um, I still don't know the full story, but um, the youth leader at the time, um, his kids were good friends of mine. I really respected him and he left the church. And all I knew, there was some kind of infighting at the church. And I didn't know about it until one Sunday I got to church and my mate wasn't there. We usually sat together in church and I went, what's going on here? And basically found out they'd left. And I remember being so angry at God to begin with. Angry at God, God, why did you let this happen? (coughs) And the thing is, I remember allowing God into that moment. And, and just letting God, I suppose, speak to me, to comfort me through that, to give me assurances that just because that happened, that God hasn't, God hasn't left me, God, and, and to surrender that hurt to him, to not let it impact me in the long term. I remember being called into ministry when I was in later part of high school and um, I, I had some ideas of what I wanted to do and, and, and all of a sudden I went, I really felt probably around about grade 10, grade 11 that God wanted me to, to do something quite specific with my life. Now again, it changes a lot of things when that happens and so I had to be willing to surrender to allow that change to happen. All of a sudden, the university I was going to go to and the plan that I sort of mapped out in my life, all of a sudden started changing slowly and then it started changing quite rapidly. And all of a sudden, like, that became the new direction in my life. Now, again, that that wasn't the only time that I had to be reviewed and the only time I... It wasn't the only time that God had to move in such a way because I remember I finished high school, I had worked a few jobs and I finally found a job that I really loved. I was doing youth work, working at a shelter there and, and, and for that time in my life making really good money. 
And a few things happen and basically I had the choice of, of staying there or, or moving on. And God, again, God sort of moved probably very graciously for me because he made the choice really easy for me. And I sort of said, well, I, I was called to go into Bible college, but I, I was, in my own head, I was working out, if I just work this job and buy a house and do all these things, then when I'm ready, when I'm equipped, when God, when I've, I've looked after all the need I'll have, I'll be able to go to Bible college then. And God said, no, no, I want you to go now. And so again, I allowed him to guide me in such a way. Even our move here to Rockhampton, it got to the point where basically I had to sort of say, I, I wanted to be in Brisbane. Brisbane was what I knew. South Queensland was where I grew up. It had, was, I had ministered in, in different ways for many years. And in the end, I remember praying before I'd heard whether I'd been called up here or not. Again, allowing God to speak into that moment and the Spirit to guide me. I sort of said, I was trying to work out a reason not to go. And in the end, I sort of said, there's no reason not to go except if they say no to me. So I was like, when the offer comes in, there's no other reason for me to say no. Like, I'm sort of waiting for this other offer to come up from another church. And so this is the thing, though, in all this where God, I've come to realize those moments of surrender have had long-term impact, not only on myself and my family, but impact on others. And I, I can't help but wonder, wonder that have there been times in my life when I've been unwilling to surrender and what hasn't happened, therefore, in God's plans? What hasn't happened in God's kingdom because I was unwilling to surrender? Because the choice you make today, that surrender that you do today, it may have a lifetime impact on your family, on you. It could even impact the other generations. And I, I look at even some of, I suppose, the, 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 the church leaders throughout history and, and the choices they made when they followed the Holy Spirit and the generational impact that they have had. What if they weren't willing to surrender? Whatever it is that you have got a hold of, that you are grabbing onto, whatever it is that you are hidden down in that valley, you have got to let it go. Because I promise you that God has a plan for your life that will bring healing and it will, help, and it will help and bring help to you. You just have to let go what you think you want to take hold of because God knows what you need. You've got to let go of what you think you want and grab onto what God knows you need. A few questions as a wrap-up today. What is the Holy Spirit showing you today? You might be at a point where God is taking you to a place where you are standing over a bunch of dry bones and God is saying to you, hey, what happened here? What happened in this story? What, what is going on right here? Tell me about it. As the Spirit breathes life into it, are you going to run from Him? Why are you willing to surrender? If it is sin in your life that you keep throwing into that valley and bringing back out, are you willing to let it go? If it's a hurt, you might have a recent hurt. You may have a hurt that has been in your life for 30 years. Are you willing to let the Holy Spirit deal with that? To take it from a hurt 
and something that haunts you to something that will heal and help you. The thing is, I suppose this is what we've been talking about. This is, this is information. Unless you are willing to come to a place where you are wanting God to work in your life and it, and it begins with a point of surrender. Because this is the thing. God is, is ready to go. He is all set. But we need to be willing to surrender, to let him begin his work. Let's just take some time to pray. God, as, as our heads are bowed before you today, we would ask that you would do your work in us today. That you would help us let go of the things that keep us from you and that you would draw us to yourself. I pray that you would take what hurts us and, and uh, haunts us and breathe life into it so that it heals us and helps those around us. Lord, you know each one of our hearts today. You know exactly where we are. Some of us may be surrendered to you and, and walking in, in, in just that, that worshipful a joy of being a Christian. Praise God for that, Lord. Some of us may be struggling. Some of us may have a huge valley of dry bones that you need to address. But wherever we're at, Lord, I pray that we would be willing to let you begin your work in us. To be surrendered. To not fight with you over control, but to give up, to give in, so that we can see victory in our lives. Well, let us not leave this place saying, oh, we'll do that some later time. Well, we'll I'll, get, I'll get around to it at some point in time in my life. May this day, may this moment be a time where, where you meet with them. And that we would tell you the story of our dry bones. We would tell you the story of our, our hurt and our haunting and to let you bring healing and help into our lives. We pray this in your name.